1: Celtics, clock will start when it's touched. Havlicek touches it, it begins, 3 seconds, Hondo off the ground, he's got a little second, John Havlicek won it, and Pierce. Is. is this the target, he's going to get the to use a bird, the group is there, bird,
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Celtics Beat. Ty Ray with you, along with Rich Conti. We have a full show today. We are going to be featuring Jerry Zagoda from the Minnesota Star Tribune. We'll be talking about Kevin Love. What are the possibilities that he ends up in a Celtics uniform? Also, we'll be talking the NBA playoffs with a great source of information, basketball information. It is Coach Nick from b ball dot com so we've got a great show ahead of you. We're going to start off, of course, by talking about the n b a draft lottery and rich. I hate to tell all the tanking fans out there. I told you so
2: exactly it's kind of funny uh you know, I've seen a couple of folks get a little bit, uh, you know, kind of despondent or disappointed that the Celtics ended up with the sixth pick, which, you know, I guess I can understand to some degree, but it's hard to hold the "hey, tanking's just a bad idea" position and then be disappointed with. The- lottery results that we got. This was the most likely scenario, so I find the, the reaction of a lot of Celtics fans being kind of disappointed almost to the level of, wow, you know, the the league tucking it to the Celtics again, just kind of funny. I mean, this was the, the most, you know, expected outcome you know, if you look at the probability, and it's equally fascinating to me to see fans you know, kind of jump on the conspiracy bandwagon. It's all fun and, and natural almost to, to think about, hey, Cleveland getting it three out of four years. You know, there must be some, some funny go- things going on behind the scenes. But, hey, that's that's why it's called probability and not certainty, right? Yeah, the Cavaliers only had a 1.7% chance. That's the point. They had a 1.7% chance, and that's the way the ping pong balls dropped. And if you kind of studied statistics, this should really surprise you. Should really, you know, point to some, you know, underlying nefarious plot by the league to, you know, I guess recompense uh, Cleveland and owner Dan Gilbert for um, uh, LeBron walking away with the decision several years ago. It's just hey, that's the way the ping pong balls bounce. So no crying over spilt milk. I don't think this has a really significant impact on the Celtics' ability to rebuild going forward. Would it have been nice to end up with the number one pick overall? Of course. Nobody would have handed it back if that was the case. You know, but the reality is the Celtics still have quite a few of assets that they can include in a trade or use to draft and develop young players. So I think the, the, the plan moves on, and, and we'll see what happens and what unfolds the rest of the summer.
0: And, Rich, of course, I'm a proponent – I said this on the draft lottery show that we did at CLNS – I'm a proponent of moving that pick because, of course, I don't think you can get a franchise-changing pick in this year's draft – at the sixth position. But having said that, if they're not able to move the pick, I do see some intriguing possibilities at that number six pick. I'm a fan of Julius Randle. I think the Celtics are going to need to get tough moving forward in the very physical Eastern Conference. And Julius Randle, I think, provides that kind of toughness yeah, this- at the end.
2: Yeah, I think the concern. Yeah, I think the concern with Randall would be, does he duplicate Jared Soldier? Can you play the next to each other? Neither is, you know, overly long for their position, and, and neither is really a rim protector, so I think that, you know, would be a concern, but Randall certainly during the tournament showed that, you know, when the level of competition rises, his game can rise there. He's got quick feet, uh, you know, an array of moves on the inside, very polished offensive player. I think he can take people out in the perimeter, uh, maybe more so than Than Jared Sullinger can in terms of your driving to the basket, so I think he'd be a great choice. You know, I don't think there's any player, regardless of you know what position you're picking in this draft, that's a surefire franchise changer. I think probably Embiid is the closest to having that. That capacity really and you know that's the other aspect of why you know tanking's not a great strategy because who's to say the sixth pick in this draft doesn't end up in retrospect having a better career than the number one overall pick in this draft it's it's that kind of kind of draft this year there is no generational talent like a LeBron James in this draft or or a Tim Duncan you know in this draft and so you know is it is it you know, um, the the highest probability that the number six pick will be better than the, the number one pick when all is said and done? No, but it's it's certainly not out of the question. So, you know, I think folks, again, a little bit doing up. I don't think the separation between those top three guys, or I would say four guys, including Exum in that class, is really that as big as as the casual fan thinks it is from the next tier of players like Randall, like Noah Vonley, uh, like some other uh, players like Marcus Smart, that I think you can kind of, throw into that um that mix a name to look out for kind of there that i think folks are are maybe sleeping on a bit is dario Saric, a six foot ten big man uh from overseas and there's an open question as to whether he's going to come to the nba next year but he's certainly potentially a top five talent that folks just maybe aren't uh, aware of to the same degree as some of those other guys we're familiar you know seeing play during ncaa tournament
0: I wonder if the Tank fans now are thinking back to how silly their comments were during the regular season, and I don't mean to go on and on about it, but Rich, I just don't understand being a fan of a team and wanting them to lose night in and night out for the chance you might get a player who could be a franchise. The chance, I'm going to say the word, the chance. Why not just enjoy the season for what it's worth?
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Don't get it. I've never understood it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And what really fascinates me, Ty, is even after the result, they are still saying, it. I've seen comments on social media saying, oh, geez, you know, winning those last two games of the year, you knew that would come back to bite them, or yeah, the problem was they you know, they weren't bad enough, <laughs> it's like, what did you guys just miss? The team that was trying to make the playoffs, that right. made of a trade where they actually sacrificed some future assets, not great ones, but to bring in players to try to put them over the hump, they were the ones who ended up with the number one pick, so how can you sit there and say, well, geez, we should have lost more games. It's it's just amazing to I me. Mean, people don't want to let go of that that mindset, that tanking mindset, and the you know, the principle behind it, which you and I have talked about at length. That I just think is is just this flawed you know, media-driven um, sense of. You know, uh, you either have to be very bad or very good uh, in the NBA, and if you're in the middle, that's the worst place to be. Well, ask the Indiana Pacers if that was the worst place to be, because you know what? That's how they built the squad that they have right now, built around a number ten pick in the draft, Paul George.
0: Well, now I think all of our focus turns to Kevin Love in Minnesota, who will be a free agent. This is a contract year for him. Can the Celtics lure him away? Can the Celtics make the right package? for the Timberwolves to get a franchise player like Kevin Love. And we're going to talk about that right now with Jerry Segoda, the Timberwolves reporter for the Star Tribune. All the talk in Boston is about landing, of course, Kevin Love. Are all of these reports a little overstated? Does Kevin really want to leave Minnesota?
3: Well, he... um... (laughs) Yeah, he's never, ever actually come out and said that, but if you follow the narrative and you hear all the rumblings throughout, you know, he's been here six years, never been in the playoffs. Uh, At this point, I don't believe he has a lot of um, faith in this franchise, even though they've changed management. Flip Saunders has come in, David Kahn is out, who was his GM for most of his time here. But, uh, yeah, I I, I pretty much believe he does. he, he, He wants to win. Not necessarily. He wants to leave. Wants to go to a place where he can win, and I think he's concluded that that place isn't here.
0: What about as far as his talent is concerned? You could make the case that what he's been in the NBA six seasons and never made the playoffs. Is he a game-changing franchise-type player in your opinion?
3: It all depends on what your definition of franchise player is. Is he a LeBron or uh, Kevin Durant or Kobe in his prime? No, he's not that. He's not. He's not that handful of guys in the league who. You know, those guys are distinguished from everybody else because you can throw them the ball. He's not even like a Carmelo where you can throw them the ball at the end of the game and say, go get your own shot and win the game for us. You can run plays for him, and he can win games for you, but he's not the kind of, doesn't have the kind of length or the kind of athlete who you just give him the ball and say, create a shot out enough because he's he's not that guy. What he is is a freakish. You know, usually you need players to do pretty well in this league, and he is an extremely unique player in that he's a, you know, one of the best rebounders in the league, and a uh, uh, big guy who can shoot three pointers with um, you know with an abundance and with an accuracy that you know, that two, two combination I don't think the league has ever seen a guy who can do both in the way that he can do them. But uh, you know, the jury's still out on whether he is a you know what kind of certainly a star. You know, is he is he a superstar? Is he? I don't you know I don't think it's been proven. I don't think he is the, a number one guy on a title team he's probably the number two guy so you know if he goes to a place like say Chicago and Derrick Rose comes back to full health you know maybe uh, something like that's a perfect place for him where he wouldn't be probably the best player at least not the most explosive player because I'm not sure he'll ever be that number one guy
2: hey Jerry this is Rich Conti and you started to touch on this you know, since he holds many of the cards in this situation right now because of his contract situation, what type of situation do you think he's you know looking to get into? You mentioned you know maybe a situation where he's not counted on as being that kind of enigmatic you know franchise scorer, that like a Derrick Rose or a LeBron. Uh, what other things are he looking for? Is he looking for in a situation that he would agree to kind of stick with long term?
3: Well, I mean you know he's he's not from LA, but he calls LA home. So I mean people have long assumed that the only place he'll ever go is the Lakers, which I don't. I think is true i'm not sure how much faith he has in a post jerry buss uh laker era there now that things have changed but certainly i'm sure he, he wouldn't just shut the door to playing in la for for either team because that's where he went to college that's where he lives in the off season, Uh that's where his uh at least last checked, they're still together his girlfriend who probably become his wife is from and um you know that's just his his place uh but i can see him going to a number of places uh you know if you look at all the scenarios everything from boston to to cleveland people go well, why would he go to boston the thing about him you got to remember about him is he's he's a traditionalist he wears number 42 because connie hawkins award his dad played Mm -hmm. in the nba his dad weaned him on nba game tape since he was eight years old he watched you know the nineteen eighty celtics and uh you know, a, a, a modern-day player who even knows some Connie Hawkins, let alone wears his number, you, you know the guy is kind of weird compared to all the other, you know, players in the NBA of his era. Um, so I think certainly if the Celtics' mystique, the Celtics, the Bulls, teams like that, uh, you know, I think would have appeal to him if he believes they have a chance to win, you know, any angels, he built the team from nothing into a winner pretty quickly, you know, just love have faith that he could do it again. So I'm, I'm not quick to say absolutely no, although the Celtics' chances got hurt in the lottery when they, you know, went from five to six rather than moving up to the top three. And I, I wouldn't even rule out a place like Cleveland. I mean, people go, mm-hmm. why would you go to Cleveland? Well, of course, the reason you go to Cleveland is if Cleveland thinks they can get LeBron James back there. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, if you have LeBron, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving. uh, That changes dramatically. You might be willing to play just about anywhere if that would happen. Admittedly, that might be a long shot, but uh, i got a feeling that's what the Cavs are thinking about.
2: And now, even though Kevin Love is trying to force their hand a little bit, uh, Flip Saunders and the Wolves obviously still hold some of the cards there. What type of situation or deal do you think that, that the Wolves and, and Flip Saunders will be looking for if they were to go ahead and move um, move
1: Love?
3: Well, they're going to try to get a bidding war up if they can, at least mm-hmm. two teams, maybe more, to see if they can get people, you know, if, if they decide they have to trade. So far, you know, they, they definitely uh, – have softened a bit, at least if you talk to people around the league, at least people around the league think that they're willing to listen to offers where they weren't before. That's not to say they're going to trade them by the draft or whatever. I think it all depends on their deal. I mean, they're not going to do it just to do it. You know, they're not going to do it for um, Jeff Green and uh, uh, Avery Bradley in a pick or something. But, you know, if, if they can get a bidding war going with teams, you know, I think the foremost is a team like, even though you'd probably prefer not to trade within your own conference, you know, if you can uh, extract a high price from a team like Golden State that has an owner that, you know, really wants to shake things up and, and win, um, you know, there are certain teams, you know, if you could get Golden State, Cleveland, somebody else involved in a bidding war and get a deal where that would actually help you by trading them. It's not very often a team trades a player like Kevin Love and gets better. You Usually you can only hope to even get close to equal, but um, uh, if they can do that, then, then he's probably traded by the trade by the draft. How far away are the T-Wolves? A uh, long way still. I mean, well, it depends. I mean, you look at the season last year. They had chances to win, you know. They probably should have won five or six more games easily. They had 12 or 13 games where they lost by four points or less. And uh, if they'd won, won any of those, you know, is that the mark of a team that's not very good or is that a mark of a young team that hasn't learned how to win yet? But there's no, um, no doubting that they're uh, – they should be better than they are. That their, their base was really affected by. They had so many assets that they squandered. High draft picks that you just can't miss on that they missed on. Johnny Flynn in 2009, Wes Johnson in 2010, Derek Williams in 2011. Traded the pick away for Chase Budinger in 2012, who hasn't done anything. You know, you can't have that kind of history with high lottery picks or you know draft picks and whiff on so many of them and not be hurt by it. I mean, they just don't have the depth. I mean, uh, you know, if they had, you know, hit on two or three of those guys, you know, you can't probably pay long-term all those guys, but if you have all those assets, you could do what uh, Danny Ainge did and, you know, trade some of them and, you know, do a two or three for one and, and get an established player and really make a leap up. But, uh, you know, instead they've had to go and try to plug holes by trading for Buddinger, uh signing Kevin Martin to overpay him in a deal. Um those kinds of moves and uh you know they just they're just ricky rubio hasn't yet turned into the player that they they need him to be i mean they need him to be kind of 1a to, to loves one and he hasn't been yet that's not saying he won't be but uh um the way he played the first year or two you thought you know that was coming quicker and uh he still hasn't shown he can shoot and score yet so uh um, right now, it's you know, some nights it just seems like love's been a man out in a, on an island, and you look in his eyes after the games, and you can tell that's the way he feels. That it's wearing on him. That it's like against the world, and uh, you know, eventually that adds up, and it, you know, it sure feels like it's it's come to the tipping point.
2: Each week we ask our fans at facebook.com slash Celticspeed to pitch a question of the week for our guests. And this week's question comes from Samuel Leas out in San Diego. And he wants to know, do you think that Kevin Love still has room to grow as a player or what we're seeing last year? Um, you know, obviously statistically great numbers is really kind of, you know, what we're gonna see from him from, from here on out or, or the things he can add to his game at this point.
3: Well yeah, I think so. I mean he's still only what, twenty five. I mean mm-hmm. you know, you you don't hit your prime bill you're twenty seven or twenty eight. Or uh, or beyond, I mean, every year he comes back with, with something else. I mean, people who have watched him here for for uh, six years would beg and plead that he would improve his defense. I mean, he'll never be a great defender, but he's for their liking, he spends too much time, uh, you know, complaining about calls, not getting back on defense. Uh, you know, he'll never be a great individual defender, but he's, uh, you know, he's got to be a better team defender. And, um, you know, he's added the step-back shot. I mean, he could probably even he'd be a better three-point shooter. I mean, uh, the question is whether he'll be, you know, a great player on a great team, or has he just put up these ridiculous stats because he's had to do it on a team that isn't very good?
0: Mm-hmm. Jerry, let's talk about Flip Saunders for a moment. Do you feel like he's the right man for that position right now?
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, he's never been a GM, so um, uh, you know they probably should have got, you know, could have gone out and got it proven. Uh, GM? He's only been a coach. You know, he probably still thinks like a coach, so. um We'll see. I mean, he's been put a hard job. He's got, to, especially coming in where you got, uh, where you got to make a decision on uh, Kevin Love so quickly because of a decision you didn't make on the job. So, um, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out if he's up to it.
2: Now, Jerry, do you think the history between the Celtics and the Wolves and, of course, the KG trade back in 2007 might at all impact Flip's willingness to do a deal with the Celtics, you know, that there might be some marketing aspect to this where, you know, uh, if he goes to Boston, regardless of what they get back, that'll just be kind of perceived as, you know, Boston taking one of our stars again?
3: I don't think that'll have any impact. I mean, he didn't make that decision back then. And I don't, you know, I think I think the bigger impact is the fact of do the Celtics have enough to offer? Mm -hmm. You know, it certainly would have made a lot easier if they, would you know, gotten one of the top picks. And then you say, well, would Danny Ainge be willing to trade that? But you know, I think Cleveland's willing to trade the number one overall pick. Uh, You know, I I don't think there's a player in this draft. If you went to any NBA GM and said. You know, is this guy better than Kevin Love? And they all laugh at you, say no way Kevin Love's better than anybody in this draft. Um, It's all the question of, you know, what you're playing for and when you're playing for it. Are you playing for the future five years down the road, or are you playing for now?
0: Jerry, do you see some players on the Celtics that could help the Timberwolves right now really fill some holes?
3: Well, I mean, you know, you've got got what, uh, they got two picks in the first round. I mean, that would would help... uh, what was it 6 and 17? I mean, right. other other players, the only guy I really see who, you, you know, if, if you trade Love, somehow you're going to have to replace him. The only other, other guy I really see, well, two guys I see is, you know, a guy like Solinger who was interesting because I remember last year before a game in Boston, Brad Stevens was talking about how, you know, he wants Sellinger to, to study Love's game in the offseason and model his game after Love's because there's similarities there between the two. So, you know, would you be getting the poor man's Kevin Love back? Uh, guys who play pop- <laughs> played power forward for you and you know the other guy I know he's got the contract coming up but uh you know I've always liked Avery, Avery Bradley but other than that I'm not sure who's on that roster that you know you'd really want other than the chance to pick your own guys
0: yeah if only Jared Sullinger could shoot the three as well as Kevin Love we sat through that this year in Boston now as far as the fan base is concerned in Minnesota what would that do to them if Love were to leave well, people.
3: I mean, you know, they're 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 in risk of you know having people just. I mean, they've uh, they've had over the last several several years. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs in a decade. They've had to cut prices so drastically, like five, four or five years ago, just to get people in the building. And they slowly tried to raise those as they raised expectations that this team was going to be better with Levin Rubio. And now, you know, that's the question of when you trade them for what do you trade them for? I mean, people. Uh, you know, seeing national speculation that they trade them for a whole bunch of draft picks. Well, you can't really do that because you know you're gonna, that's another. It turns back the clock. You're going to have to wait another three to five years. You know, it's going to have to be some combination of either a really high pick that you think can play fairly quickly, or young players in the league who you know you know what you're getting and you know, they can step right in and play because you can't turn the clock back and just completely start to rebuild because you might as well board up. Target Center. If you do that, just just when they're starting to get ready to sink a hundred million dollars into remodeling the place.
2: Now, a lot of the discussion in the national media, at least about Love and and where he fits. Kind of raised, they like to raise the question of, well, you know, is he that guy you can really count on given that, you know, the, the Wolves have never been in the postseason in his his career? What's the feeling out there in Minnesota? How much of that do folks really kind of lay at Love's feet or is it more just kind of a, a, a sense of, hey, we haven't given this guy any help and, and, you know, it's not really, you know, there's not enough around him to really, you know, carry a team to a, a postseason berth?
3: I think it probably depends how long you've been a Wolves fan. If you're used to the, you know, if you're, you, if you were downtrodden and believe this team could never get any luck, will never do anything right, it's probably, you know, look, he's got nobody around him. He's doing the best he can. Other people say, you know, look, if he was really that great, you know, if he was a LeBron or a, a Durant, you know, he'd put them on his back and, and get him to the playoffs. Um, he's just, you know, a really unique, different kind of player that's hard to really pigeonhole. He's probably top 10 in the league. But, you know, he's not, as we mentioned, not top three or four, maybe even five. I mean, you know, it depends. uh, What what do you want? You want a guy who just fills fills up? Do you want a guy who, um, you know, completely has that kind of closer, end of the game, you know, killer mentality? I mean, a guy like, you know, even though a completely different position, a guy like a Damian Lillard who just seems to have, like, that – Heart of Stone, which, you know, I think Love can be a guy. He has made big shots, made a three to beat the Clippers. He made a three, I think, that's ended overtime in the season opener this year. But he is not kind of a classic end-of-the-game closer.
2: You know, one of the scenarios I've seen floated out there at one point was whether it would make sense for the Clippers and the Timberwolves to engage in a Blake Griffin for Kevin Love swap of some sort. Um, what do you think the feeling of that would be, be in Minnesota? Would people welcome that type of deal? Uh, do you think that's something that the Clippers would, would, would realistically consider?
3: I think it's moot now. You might have been able to get that discussion four months ago before Chris Mm -hmm. Paul got hurt, but uh, I doubt the the, the Clippers would have. I don't think the Clippers would do that after the kind of season that Blake Griffin Mm -hmm. ended. I mean, you know, people always assumed the last couple of years that Love was was better, but you know, you saw Blake grow in his game, and uh, certainly completely different kinds of players. Griffin, in in his own way, is completely unique in in terms of what he can do. So. I doubt I doubt you'd get the the, the Clippers to do that anymore. You, you know, you would have six months ago, probably.
0: Hmm. Jerry, are you optimistic about the future of the Timberwolves? Are there just too many unanswered questions? I'd really like to see the franchise succeed. I've actually followed them for quite a few years, and it just seems like they've always been in limbo.
3: Well, if we I mean, it's all you know. Some people here are convinced they're they're cursed. They either think it's because there's a there's a rumor the Target Center was built on Indian burial mounds, and that, uh,
1: <laughs> they, that
3: they will never be. And, and the other, uh, the other theory is held by a few is that there's a guy in the first couple of years, a guy who was in his 70s, that they uh, he was kind of a, a ringer. They brought him, they put him in the crowd when they did like the timeout, steering and halftimes, and they had people out dancing. And there was a 70 year old guy that they br- bring out to break dance who was a plant in the audience his name was Joey Two-Step, and uh, they unceremoniously fired him one day and said, we no longer need your services for, you know, timeout entertainment. And supposedly, as he left the building, he he, he put a curse on the franchise that uh, people believe that, you know, the Joey Two-Step curse will never be successful ever again. I think it comes down to management probably overall, and, uh, uh, you know, they just – if you go back to actually today is the five-year anniversary when they hired David Kahn to, to be their GM, a guy who was in no way qualified for the job. <laughs> in no way qualified for the job. So when you do that, you know, it's hard to have success. When the, Now the question is whether Flip Saunders is qualified and whether he can turn it around.
0: Well, does it feel like Flip brings at least a little stability, even though he's new to that position?
3: Well, at least Just he has credibility. He's, he's been in the league. People know him. People you know, you think he has talent. He's, he's got a track record. He won, he's won 600 and some games as a coach. He's been in the game all his life. So, uh, you know, now the question is, if you look back on, the, like, the draft last year, it looked after draft night that he drafted like a coach rather than a GM. The question is whether he can make that leap.
0: Jerry Zagoda from the Minnesota Star Tribune, Timberwolves reporter. Thanks for being a guest on Celtic Speed. We appreciate it.
3: All right. Thank you.
0: So, Rich, what did you take away with that conversation from Jerry Zagoda? To me, it sounds like it's almost like a done deal that Kevin Love is going to leave the Timberwolves.
2: Yeah, you know, I think he's made it clear that that's his desire, and he's trying to force – the Timberwolves and Flip Saunders' hands a bit, you know, they ultimately still hold the cards, right? You know, if they decide they want to take the chance and hold on to them and, and let it play out to free agency, well, that's you a know, chance they're going to take if they can't get a deal which satisfies them. The The interesting thing to me was really what type of deal the Wolves would be looking for. I think most people have really kind of fixated on the, the draft pick aspect of it, and, and many of the Celtics' assets are really in that form of, of draft picks. But it seemed like Jerry's comments really indicated that taking a step back and looking at a love trade as kind of a, just a big reset button and rebuilding from scratch is, isn't something that the Timberwolves are really all that, that interested in doing, that they're really going to try to look to acquire some players that they can plug right in. And that's a little challenging for the Celtics in the, in the sense that the players they have to offer are either expiring contracts you know, that, that are maybe stopgaps. A guy like Brandon Bass obviously can step out in the court and perform at an NBA level. Or they're young players whose future is still a little bit uncertain. You know, A guy like Jared Sollinger. how close can a Kevin Love type can he become? An Avery Bradley, is he really on the track now over his injury problems? And, and will his offense develop enough that he can be a you know, real starting rotation player on a championship team. So I think that bears watching, you know, it's also interesting to see what type of offers they, they, you know, they can get, you know, at one point, Jerry mentioned the Celtics chances, maybe taking a little bit of a hit when they ended up with the number six pick instead of a higher pick. And, you know, I guess I hadn't really thought about that as being the case because A, you know, there really isn't that big of a difference in the in the draft this year and that B really the teams with picks ahead of them weren't real Players necessarily in 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 the Kevin Love sweet states. but he he threw out the, the the Cleveland Cavaliers and the possibility that hey, you know, if they can put a Kevin Love alongside a Kyrie Irving is you know does LeBron James kind of come into right. play for them? So that might be a big wild card bear watching there is you know, will you know become a serious contender in this you know big. big if they don't, I don't really see the draft pick as being a big issue because you nobody else is really going to be able to offer even a, a number six pick. Uh, the question then becomes, can a team like Golden State, which has some more established players, maybe position themselves as a more attractive option for the Wolves?
0: Yeah, you throw a Clay Thompson out there, a Harrison Barnes. Good talent that's been in the playoffs. Whereas, do you really want a Jared Sullinger or an Avery Bradley Both guys have injury problems. Yeah, I think that's a note of caution for Celtics fans about their optimism in regards to bringing Kevin Love into Boston. What can you really package together that's attractive to the Timberwolves? And I'll be honest, Rich, right now I don't see it. I've been trying to concoct some sort of package in my head, and Rondo's not on the table, obviously. Mm -hmm. there's There's no idea of trading Rondo that they don't need him, so... What do you do if you're a self-expand? How can you sweeten the pot? I'm not so sure.
2: Well, it really, like I said, depends on what other teams are offering and what Minnesota wants to do if Flip Saunders really wants to have the most flexibility possible with picking players that he wants to try to build the culture and the and the team that he wants to build well then certainly draft picks become more interesting to them even if that means they take a step back in the short term which honestly given the state of the West and how deep it is right now, I don't think that's a bad play for Minnesota, you know, you know, give, give time for some of these teams to maybe, you know, disperse a little bit. But um, so if, you know, draft picks are an attractive thing, then certainly the Celtics Going kind to of move to the head of the queue. You can build a package around the contracts of expiring contract of, of Brandon Bass, Keith Bogans effectively expiring contract, Jared Sullinger as a young player in there, maybe an Avery Bradley, uh, and then you have know, the Celtics number six pick, maybe the number six and the number seventeen this year, maybe the number six this year and uh, one of the future firsts they have that might be attractive down the road. So you know, I think it would have to be some kind of package like that, but if If Minnesota is really looking to get out of the deal a proven, you know, quality NBA rotation player and and building a deal around that, it's going to be challenging for the Celtics.
0: Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone on the Celtics that is untouchable to you?
2: I'm a firm believer that nobody is ever untouchable unless you have the best player in the game, right? You know, at the end of the day, if you can improve the roster, why wouldn't you do it? And, you know, unless, you know, there's some really extenuating circumstances, like you've got future moves dependent on the the presence of a particular guy. But I think everybody's potentially, you know, a lot of the teams... Rondo, I think the media's stance on a Rondo trade, I think, is probably doesn't really reflect where the, you know, how the organization views the situation, which I think is very simple, right? If you don't think you're going to be able to re-sign him, and part of that is, you know, whether you're able to bring in another impact player, then as the clock starts to wind down toward the trade deadline this year, then you think about moving him for some future assets. Otherwise, he's a part of the future here. He's part of what you're trying to build. You know, you're trying to get players like that that are capable of being the best player on the floor in a playoff game. And and Rondo's shown that he can do that. And so, you know, I think it really goes to you know how much Danny Ainge is able to accomplish between now and say the trading deadline next year. The other thing to keep in mind: the way the CBA is set up right now, it really isn't in either the players' interest or the team's interest to try to extend the contract and, and, and resign before you really need to. And so you know, the team has more flexibility this off season, if they don't uh, resign Rondo um, and, you know, until they get closer to his, you know, the expiration of his contract. So you know, nobody's untouchable, you know, it really depends on what the deal is. And I think Ainge has shown uh, he's able to really, you know, kind of take the long view and, and really kind of, do what it takes to position himself and the team to make the right kind of moves when they become available.
0: One thing we didn't talk about with Jerry were recent injuries that Kevin Love has had, mm-hmm. like the broken hand, and, of course, he's got scar tissue in his knee. Is that a concern? Should we be worried about that if the Celtics want to put together a package to get Kevin Love? Would that concern you?
2: Well, I mean, the hand thing was obviously a freak thing. I, I believe he was he heard it doing knuckle push-ups or something, which is you know, mildly amusing, although I'm sure it wasn't for, <laughs> for the Wolves at the time. But, um, you know, I don't see that. A, a chronic situation, you know, knees always worry you, um, you know, whenever there's, you know, an issue with, with cartilage damage, uh, that can have long-term ramifications, but, you know, we have really haven't seen any of the injuries really impact his play when he's out on the court. And so, you know, I would say that's probably a mild concern certainly with any deal of this magnitude, you know, that the, the teams are going to engage in, in swapping physicals on the players. So, you know, I, I think if there are any concerns there, they'll be ferreted out as part of the, uh, the process leading up to any trade.
0: Rich, let's go from talking about teams that aren't in the playoffs, the Celtics and the Timberwolves, to talking about the teams that are in the playoffs. So let's talk Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, right now with Coach Nick of com. Coach Nick, thanks for joining us on Celtics Beat.
4: Thank you. I hope you can hear me okay.
0: Oh, I can hear you great. So, I just wanted to get your impression, generally speaking, right now of where the NBA playoffs stand. We'll we'll talk about that before we get into detail.
4: Okay. So, my general impression is where the playoffs stand. Uh, well, I think we've had some incredible playoffs. Certainly, that first round was probably as good as we've ever we've ever seen it. And uh, the second round started out a little bit more uh, like what you think the first round would look like. But overall, uh, it's certainly been full of uh, all sorts of things that I love to go through as far as adjustments and, and coaching and and, uh, and matchups. So I, I've been pretty happy.
0: Now, what kind of adjustments did you see the Heat make in Game 2 against the Pacers that were able to even up that series at a game apiece in the Eastern Conference Finals?
4: I didn't see, seem to think I saw that many adjustments. I did see a little bit of When the Pacers wanted to do a short roll off the pick and roll, they would bring Chris Bosh over to pick him up earlier. But I also saw the same problem they had in game one where they were getting that roll all the way to the front of the rim as well. So, you know, when you read the quotes from Coach Spolstra, he said it was a lot more of sort of effort, and I would probably move more toward uh, an effort issue with them because, honestly, the Pacers in the half court were actually pretty efficient as we broke down.
2: Now, looking out west, and, of course, the Spurs have gone up 2-0 over Oklahoma City, particularly with that big win last night. Um, what adjustments do you think OKC can make, you know, from here on out, particularly with Ibaka out? Is there they can slow down this? It just looks incredible.
0: Hello, Rich? Oh, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Oh, I can hear you now. So I I missed
4: the last part of the question.
2: Oh, so, yeah, the question was, um, you know, what adjustments can OKC make, particularly with Ibaka out to try to counter just the incredibly efficient offense the Spurs have had so far?
4: It's a a great question. And you know what? I've been saying that, you know, Nick Collison is a capable defender in a different way but could have a pretty profound impact the way he plays positional defense. However, there is a lack of foundation defensively for the Thunder, and so they don't really play five men together. We talk a lot about playing like a team or working the ball on offense, but the same rules sort of apply for defense as well, and so uh, they're going to have to get more physical with them. They're going to have to disrupt some of the passes, and most most notably the first pass into the offense, is going to have to be denied. They're going to have to do something They can disrupt that rhythm because right now it's what we call coach's porn, or what I call over here. Uh, it, is, uh, it is an evisceration. I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a playoff game like I saw last night. Unbelievable, Coach. Uh,
0: is Oklahoma City playing that bad now? If I'm Serge Ibaka, I'm asking for a big raise.
4: I'll put it that way. <laughs> You know, I don't think that Serge Ibaka closes the thirty-point gap, but you can argue that it's a it is a um, a lot of tiles falling uh, in place once he goes down. So, um, you know, so it, the argument could very well be that they're they're going to attack the the lane more because they know he's not there. And the funny thing was is that Coach Popovich said that he didn't really stress that, and I believe him. I think the players themselves talking in the locker room said, "Hey, let's go attack that that rim," because as a coach the last thing you want is guys who are over-aggressive and trying to do too much out of control because what you end up seeing is what Russell Westbrook is doing.
0: Got a question for you about the Pacers. Have you ever seen a team
4: just shut it on and off like this one has in the playoffs?
0: It really is. They're so Jekyll and Hyde.
4: They are. Never. And, you know, we've been doing some analysis, and I'm trying to get some more uh, stats from Sportview uh, to see it, but my eyeballs are telling me that, one of the problems they're having, at least on offense, is that they all hold the ball too often, too long. And so the time of possession for each guy holding it ends up being, making it easier for the defense to stop them. Um, and, so, and it's very rote. And I, and I feel like they're, they're scared to turn the ball over. And so they make these offensive sets that are very, very simple. But then it makes it easier for the defense to defend anyway. Um, so I, it's hard to figure out. There's a, One of my guys, uh, Seth Partnow, over at where offense happens on Twitter, was had a big uh, article talking about the notion of uh, Roy Hibbert having a concussion when they played the Heat in the regular season and diagnosed, and that caused him in, to fall into his funk. It, certainly, uh, the numbers bear that out. If you look at that moment when he got it, and it's interesting because now we have a concussion with Paul George that they're going to, have to deal with. So, uh, you know, it is all over the place. It, it's really hard to put a finger on what it is, and. Um, you know, they, they, they seem like they've maybe figured out a little bit more of what they need to do.
2: Do you think there are any wrinkles that Indiana will come out with in the next game, particularly with uh, Georgia's status being up in the air 50-50? If he has to miss the game, how do they kind of counter what Miami's been doing?
4: It's a great question. And, you know, um, I, I've been unimpressed with what they're doing. Last year when we charted a lot of their offense, they had a lot more sort of motion and, and more of a purpose in how to attack that defense. And this year they're they're not doing that stuff, which is kind of head scratching to me. And the only thing I could think of is that you know the coaching staff is a little bit different with uh, Brian Shaw in Denver. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I think that they're sort of hunkered down and they're going to say we're we're just going to make minimal amount of passes in the half court. We are going to simply identify the exact person we want, you know, screening the ball or defending the screener of the ball and just sort of go right into it and see what we can get. Because right now, right, the fear of a turnover is really you know, sort of paralyzing their, the creativity of their offense.
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they're almost trying to you just count on their defense to win the series, and that's obviously a a tough sell against uh, Miami. Uh, Looking back out west and kind of the opposite situation with the the Spurs offense. You know, if the Spurs were to go on and win the championship this year, uh, do you think that creates any kind of change in the league and you know more toward this idea of hey, let's find guys that fit certain roles and let's let's figure out what our identity is and what we do and build a team around that rather than simply trying to you know throw stars together.
4: I would hope so, but, you know, it, it doesn't look necessarily that way. I feel like even with the advanced analytics and the people coming in who are running teams now, it does seem like that notion of you got to have, you know, two or, like, the three main guys uh, is still the prevalent thought. And that's too bad because, you're right, what we've seen in the Spurs right now um, are, even though they have, like, the big three, they're definitely not in their prime. And uh, the Bulls were sort of did it the same way, although like, arguably you could say, you know, Rodman was that third guy. But um, I, I, don't, I would wish that more teams would play like the Spurs because it's just more exciting that way. Uh, and so, and, and more, it's just better basketball the way it's meant to be played, but I don't see it happening. I feel like the teams are still going to be focused on, uh, you know, a home run with a lottery in uh, and, the and draft and, and then, you know, saving up enough money to sign a, a major uh, free agent. I want to move on to some other topics, but before we leave the playoffs, who
0: do you see winning it all?
4: Oh, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's going <laughs> to argue with me when we say that the Spurs are without a doubt playing head and shoulders above anybody else, and uh, and so it's probably going to end up being a rematch of last year, which is going to be fantastic, and quite honestly, you know, they, they basically won last year as well. I mean, it, it took mm-hmm. that, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime play for the, for the Heat to pull out game six, so uh, this is definitely would be a worthy rematch, and I don't see the, the Heat uh, winning the third in the row. We've talked a lot about Kevin Love in this episode.
0: We've talked about how the Celtics could package some players for him and be a game-changer in Boston. Can he be that kind of player? He hasn't even won a playoff game yet, but yet there's such buzz
4: about him. Um, it's hard to know because he is arguably the best offensive power forward we have, primarily because of the power of his, the strength of his three-point shooting, which uh, there are very few of those that can stretch the floor like that. He's a very good passer. He can post up. Uh, the problem, though, is is his defense is, is not good. And it's really hard if he's the number one guy and he sets the tone on that side of the ball. Uh, it's very difficult. Now, if you plug him into a team like the Bulls, does that mitigate his poor defense? Absolutely. Same with Melo. And that's where you might get something. Now, with the, with the Celtics, you know, they're still a long ways off. I'm not sure he'd want to go there with the state of what they have so far. So it's a real interesting conundrum, and I, I don't think he's the number one guy on a title-winning team.
2: Now, earlier you mentioned, you know, one of the strategies that seems to still be kind of popular in the league in terms of building a team is kind of waiting for that home run in the lottery. And, of course, we had the draft lottery drawing this week, and the Cavaliers won for the third time out of four years. You know, is this something that maybe pushes them finally over over that hump and gets them on the right track, or is just fundamentally this idea of relying on bringing, you know, 19- and 20-year-olds into what is basically a losing environment? and expecting them to develop into the players that are capable of of being and learning all those things it takes to win in the NBA? Is that just a, a flawed proposition?
4: Well, it's interesting because you see a team like the the Thunder, and they pretty much built this through the draft. So they say, great, let's recreate that. Well, I think when you look at it deeply, you realize that that's so much more of a rare occurrence to do it through the draft, especially the way they're doing with the picks they've made because, you know, the the, the waiters, uh, waiter's pick ended up being, uh, he, he's good, but it's not really working out between him and Kyrie. Certainly last year uh, they had a problem with Bennett uh, and that pick. So, I mean, you know, granted, if they pick you know Jabari Parker and he's as good as I think he will be, that could go a long way to changing the environment as it is. But they need to go top down and really try and, and fix what's there because, you know, getting back to LeBron, from what I understand, what I've heard about it, it's sort of uh, – there, there, it, it isn't like the Spurs. There isn't a lot of accountability, and that's the beginning framework of building a you know a a, a championship culture.
0: Coach Nick, you know the Celtics situation. Load it with picks, but what do you do? You really don't have great pieces to move in exchange for a Kevin Love other than draft picks.
4: Yeah, you're right. I mean, they have Rondo, and he certainly speaks volumes. and he looked like he was back you know relatively full speed last year. So uh, you know, picks do still speak volumes in this day and age because of the new CBA. And you know, if you luck out, you'll have a four years worth of a guy who's pretty cheap uh, if he develops quickly. So you know, I wouldn't undersell the the value of a pick. But you're right; they are um, going to have some you know limitations, I suppose. Even though, as far as I can as I remember, the Celtics do have a really high volume of picks. Correct? Yeah, that's right. They have quite a few. Yeah, Yeah, they've got nine. Those are, those are just like players sometimes, and so I, I feel like Danny Ainge is going to be able to get something done, and he's got, you know, there's plenty of his, of his friends around the league that might want to do some deals.
0: Coach, you've got such a great basketball mind. What storyline is going on right now in the playoffs that the common fan may
4: not be aware of? Wow. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, the one thing I thought was interesting was the notion of, uh, the, of Roy Hibbert with, the, uh, with his uh, concussion issue. Uh, which no one's talking too much about. Um, I I, I have a feeling there's more of the Mark Jackson stuff that's going to come out that we haven't heard, although, you know, I I can't speculate, you know, anything on facts. Um, But uh, let's see here. That's a good question. You know, right now, um, you know, what else are we not talking about? Um, Let me think about that. I'll give you a better answer in, in, in a bit. Rich and I were talking about the situation in Memphis. What in the world is going on there? It's very strange. I was in Chicago during the draft combine, and all those guys that had, the two guys that were dismissed were there, and it seemed like everything was great. I talked to uh, Coach Yeager for 10 minutes, and he seemed, you know, firmly ensconced as the coach in Memphis, and now he's interviewing, you know, for, uh, Minnesota, for the Minnesota job. So uh, it's a very strange thing, I and mean, they've uh, got a bunch of different owners, it sounds like, who are all sort of jostling for uh, the power there. Um, you know, I don't know why it's they, they had a very good year. They made the playoffs in a tough Western Conference, having lost uh, Marcus All for a lot of games. So, you know, they were well on their way. It's it's very it's head scratching to me. And I can only hope they can keep the ship right because they were already going in the right direction.
2: And now, Coach Nick, I know that you're um, working on a uh, project with Glenn McDonald, former Celtics, about Game 5 of the 76 Finals. Of course, that one of the classic game in Celtic history and breaking it down on on YouTube channel. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Well, you know, we haven't quite gotten knee-deep into it yet, and so we I'm going to have to, you know, kind of jump in. But we do have a series on our channel of retro breakdowns. Where we take old games of, you know, where people don't know about it or they've forgotten about it or had never seen it but read about it, and we literally I'll break it down just like it's a game today, and they're wildly popular. Uh, and so certainly, you know, that game um, will have plenty of things to go through, and I'm excited to show the fans a lot of uh, the different players from that team that they probably don't know about.
0: Oh, that was such a fun game, guys. I saw it live. It was incredible. Still maybe the best game I've ever seen in the NBA. It was exhausting to watch. Let me put it that way. <laughs> you know, I I lost my breath just watching the guys. There's that famous shot of JoJo White sitting on the floor with his arms extended behind him. What a great series that was. And the Suns were that close to winning that whole finals that year.
4: Oh, absolutely. And that was a really great team, too. And, uh Refresh my memory. Uh, Paul Westfall was still on that team as a guard in '75, right? Right. Alvin Adams, yep. John McLeod. Yeah.
0: Really, really fine team that year. That came out of nowhere. Truly a Cinderella team. Ricky Absolutely.
4: And, and you know what's funny about that is that I have footage from a few, a couple of years before that with a lot of those same players uh, when Coach Cotton Fitzsimmons was coaching them, and they ran the triangle beautifully.
0: Coach Nick, where can we find your
4: uh, work online? Well, you know, the, our bread and butter is our YouTube channel at B-Ball Breakdown, where we have our video breakdowns. But then during the games on Twitter, we have uh, – I, I live tweet analysis the game, and it's an incredible interaction, and I do respond to just about everybody who wants to mention me And so my Twitter handle there is B-Ball Source.
0: It's been a real pleasure having you on, Coach Nick. Hope to talk to you again real soon. You got it, thanks. Rich, great stuff from Coach Nick there. So the Spurs are going to emerge as NBA champs. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think once Ibaka ruled out for the playoffs. I think that almost became written in stone at that point. And, you know, as Coach Nick said, they have just looked tremendous. I mean, I loved the use of the word evisceration there because that really was the case in game two. They just carved that defense. What's, you know, not a great to begin with, carved it up, and, and just love to see the ball movement, the quick decisions. You know, we talk about the appreciation we had for the Celtics defensively being on a on a string back in the, the Big Three area with um, KG, Pearson, and Allen, and, and the Tom Thibodeau-led defense. You're seeing the same thing offensively with the Spurs, and it's just beautiful to watch. And, you know, I, I really agree with some of his sentiments. It would be a great thing to see the league – recognize the the value of players that fill roles and building a, a really strong identity and and that sense of your know, teamness there and really making you know winning teams about that and and have the focus of the league and of shift back on to that um but but uh i guess I'll, i won't hold my breath
0: It should have happened last year, Rich. should have. Game six, Spurs went up five points. You have missed free throws, and then LeBron hits a three, and Ray Allen hits a three, and we force a game seven. The Spurs had that one, and that focus should have taken place last year in six games. The Spurs had that series one, and it was kind of like the perfect storm at the end of game six, and of course we all know what happened in game seven. So I hope you're right, Rich. But watching the Spurs recently, who's going to stop them?
2: yeah you know obviously people talk about miami's you know really active defense or ability to kind of scramble out on the perimeter and and you know cut off driving and passing lanes but still get back out to close out under the shooters so if there's any team defensively that's built to you know, uh, disrupt that that three-point aspect of the Spurs' offensive attack. It's them, but then you look at you. Know, they really have nobody to counter some of the size inside that, that San Antonio can throw at you. With you know, obviously Tim Duncan and to a lesser extent uh, Tiago Splitter, who had a good series uh, last year in the finals, and and then you throw Kawhi Leonard into the mix, and he's kind of an X factor for me. You know, I think he's that guy that I think enjoys that challenge of matching up with LeBron on both sides of the ball. So So it's going to be a really entertaining series if kind of things hold to form.
0: So Spurs are going to beat the Thunder. We're in agreement on that. I'm not sold that the Heat are still going to get by the Pacers. We'll see. We'll see what happens in Game 3.
2: Yeah, a lot really rides on Paul George's health status and whether you know, he's kind of satisfied the league's concussion protocols leading into the game on Saturday night and is able to, to, to get out there. They looked really good in Game 1. I thought they looked confident. Uh, you, you saw the good Lance Stevenson and not the bad Lance Stevenson. And if they can get four or five games in the series out of out of that, uh, I, th- I think they'll be in, in, in pretty good shape but yeah, I think the, the, you know, they, they have to show more on offense they have to be more assertive, certainly than they were in game two, because they just looked so tentative out there, and Miami's defense is like, you know, tentativeness is like blood in the water for sharks there and they, that they just turn up the intensity and I think that really kind of spelled uh, doom for the, the the Pacers in game two <laughs>
1: It's that time,
0: Rich. It's time for the NBA in 5, where we go over topics in five minutes. Let's first start with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They win the lottery for the third time in four years. A conspiracy, Rich, one has to wonder.
2: You know, it, it makes for great uh, conspiracy theory material, but as we talked about, kind of on the outset of the show, it's just math. You know, uh, you know the, the the probabilities and the differences between them seem enormous when you're talking about yeah, if you played it out over a thousand drawings, it would have a huge impact. The difference in say the Cavaliers 1.7 chance and whatever the Celtics chances were, but in any particular drawing, those those differences aren't particularly meaningful and so I think folks kind of struggle to understand that and that leads to the conspiracy theories excuse me Mark Cuban made some interesting comments on Donald Sterling this week Uh, what did you think of those?
0: I thought it was appropriate all he said was I'm not perfect. We all have our prejudices and bigotries. And what he was saying, Rich, is that we need to understand race. We need to understand our prejudices in this country so we can get over them. I totally understand what he's saying. I think it was completely blown out of proportion. The Twitterverse went nuts. Mark Cuban has already said he supports what Adam Silver is doing. And there's no doubt in my mind how he's going to vote when they vote on June 26th to boot Mr. Sterling on the league.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of folks and, and kind of the mob mentality of social media tends to paint things in a, in a very binary situation, right? That if, if you don't, you know, if you look at all behind the, um, you know, the immediate surface of the issue with Donald Sterling and his comments and, and, and think more broadly about, you know, what that me- might mean for our society, well, fundamentally, that means you're somehow excusing Sterling's comments and you're not, you know, in support of removing the league. And, and that's not what Cuban was saying. I think Cuban's comments were an extension of some of the things that Jason Whitlock wrote in his piece that came out right after the the, the Sterling issue blew up which was basically that yes, what this guy is saying is wrong. Let's understand the roots of where it came from, the the, the causes behind it because just slapping donald sterling on the wrist no no matter how sharply isn't going to solve the underlying problem that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve whatever punishment he gets it just means hey let's just not all get riled up and angry at one man let's use this as an opportunity to kind of look a little bit deeper and, and figure out how as a society this might help us grow
0: Hey, let's talk some Celtics. Let's talk Kelly Olenek, second team, all-rookie team, NBA. I thought that was a great honor for Kelly.
2: Yeah, it was nice to see a Celtics young uh, player get some recognition. I know over the past couple of years, we've been seeing a little bit more of that with Olinick this year and Jared Selinger this year being invited to the rookie-sophomore game. Whereas in the past, you know, five, six years, we didn't have a lot of representation in those things. So it was nice to see that. And, you know, I think it was well-deserved. I and mean, I think he was the top vote-getter among the second team. So he just missed, you know, kind of making the top five. And I think he had a great second half of the season. I'd venture to guess that if his entire season was like his second half, he might have been you know, right in that, that first team range. So it was really good to see that.
0: And by the way, I am going to pat myself on the back, Rich. You will remember, last draft... What was I advocating that the Celtics take Kelly O'Linick with their pick? They did, and at the time, everybody was going, "Who? who is this guy? And I said, just wait. He's got a great skill set. And I think he impressed a lot of Celtic fans this year.
2: I was one of the detractors, and I'm absolutely eating crow on that, and I'm gladly, <laughs> gladly ch- chowing that crow down. Uh,
0: so the Grizzlies
2: have been going through a little bit of turmoil the past week or so, and, and part of that is some discussion as to whether their uh, head coach, Dave Yorger, might be a candidate for the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, coaching vacancy. He and Flip Saunders had some some past relationship. What do you make of that situation?
0: What is going on in Memphis? They have Lionel Hollins. They go far in the NBA playoffs. They get rid of him. They, I think, overachieved this year, and now they shake up their staff and now Joker's going to leave. I don't get what's going on in Memphis. What more do they want from their coaches, Rich?
2: Well, I think it's part of a larger trend too. You're seeing it, you know, we saw it surface a little bit in Golden State as the NBA kind of brings in these new owners that aren't just kind of the old school traditional businessmen, very hierarchical, who are willing to kind of let the, you know, the basketball people do their thing. You're seeing these guys a lot more analytic background, a lot more proactive management backgrounds, and I think you're seeing these these places where that's coming into conflict with some of these you know coaching personalities and and these organizations are just you know valuing the culture and valuing the stability and and wanting to you know make sure everybody in the organization is on the same page and and really the most fascinating part fascinating part about this story is that old friend chris wallace has resurfaced again uh in that front office he's almost like jason boy he's in the friday the 13th movies
0: rich another fun show always enjoy hosting Celtics beat with you Lots of Kevin Love talk, lots of unanswered questions. I know I, for one, would love to have him in a Celtics uniform, but we're far from having that happen.
2: It's going to be an interesting few weeks leading up to the draft and then an even interesting couple of months, I think, after the draft leading up to the season. So looking forward to it.
0: That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astrovex, and Steph Lagrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. We'd like to thank our guest today, Jerry Zagota from the Minnesota Star Tribune, and also Coach Nick from bballbreakdown.com. For our executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Nick, or Rich Conti, I'm Ty Ray. See you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m., 11 a.m. Pacific for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.